You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome back to the Apex Nutrition Podcast. I'm Ben Welnack, and with me, Kelly Jennings. Kelly, Hello. how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So listeners, if you're new to the show, and I feel like I say that every time, but I feel like every time there's a lot of new new people listening. Um, so yeah, this episode, we're going to be talking about high altitude tips, but just first I wanted to make a couple announcements for those new listeners. Um, if you would go back, you found this show. So what you need to do is click back, uh, one, basically one page and it'll take you to the, to the, the apex <laughs> nutrition podcast. So I'm going off tangent again, but listeners, we record these at like, 5:45 in the morning. Yes. And this morning we're at, we're both on about 5 hours of sleep. So there might be a few little tongue twisters in there. So, <laughs> you go back to the main page for the Apex Nutrition podcast and you'll see a ton of episodes. Everything from it, you know, training nutrition, regular nutrition, um what you should eat over a 2-hour ride or what you should, you know, when you should eat ginger or yeah, coconut oil, or, like yeah. all kinds of different things with a ton of information. So there's like probably five hours worth of listening uh, information on old shows. So that said, the other thing you should check out is Kelly, um, go to apexnutritionllc.com where Kelly has, she's the one behind that. She's uh got all the information if you have any questions um she has plans the fuel right blog which she does a ton of writing ton of updating so there's a ton of information and you're getting it for free right here um all right so this episode kelly we're going to be talking about high altitude tips so what do you have for high altitude tips Yep. And I will tell you that a lot of times with nutrition stuff, I like to be able to say that I've tried it out on myself, that I've, you know, I, I'm happy to be an, an endurance athlete who also does the nutrition. So I'm not just telling you like crazy things to do with, and I don't know how it feels to do that. I've kind of prided myself with that. This one, I can't say that I have because I was born, I was raised at high <laughs> at altitude. At the top of a mountain, basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, well, 7,500 feet. I lived in Crested Butte for years, and that's where I started off or kind of where I really got into mountain biking. And so, but I've seen this firsthand, <laughs> if that makes anyone feel better. I've seen how horrible it is for people to feel horrible when they come to high altitude. And I feel it now more because I live in Golden, so just about 6,000 feet. So when we go back to Crested Butte or wherever we go, and I'm hauling my bike up to 12.5, I, I, I feel it for sure. I don't like get sick, though, and start throwing up like some some people feel. So... Um, here are my tips. And this, you know, is something that really affects racers because a lot of racers live all over the country. And then you come up and you do the Breck 100 and, you know, you've put all this time and effort into training for it. And sometimes it's just the altitude just wipes you, you know, wipes you out. And, um, some of it just has to do with oxygen. We'll talk about all the different things and how, how nutrition can help. Of course, it's not all nutrition. You know, we're not saving the planet here with nutrition, but, um, there, there are a few things you can do. Sometimes it is oxygen related. Sometimes though it is like a whole body sickness that makes, you know, kind of feels like the flu and you feel nauseous and you're, and that's high altitude too. So, so I'll do what I can to help 
And yeah. <laughs> well, basically nutrition's part of it, right? Uh-huh. And when you're at altitude and you're not used to it, so say Leadville one, you know, Leadville 100, you start at 10,000, Leadville's at 10,000 feet, right? you know, Breck 100, anything, there's a lot of races that would be, you know, the the Dakota 5.0, for example, which is up in Spearfish, um, mm-hmm. up in the Black Hills, I think that's at like 5,000, 6,000 feet, makes mm-hmm. a difference. If somebody's coming from 700 feet, you know, if yep. you're 300 feet from Missouri or whatever. Oh, um, the coast, yep. Or, yeah, whatever, it's... It's a big difference. So at altitude, yeah. everything's kind of exaggerated, and exactly. um, nutrition's a big part of that. So, all right, right, okay. Thanks. So we'll kind of go through, you know, what causes problems and then how to fix it. The first problem that for nutrition, the you know, maybe at the tail end, we can talk a little bit about sleep and a little bit about acclimating, like how soon what the research says about when to get to a race venue. But um, I'll start with nutrition because obviously the other stuff I'm just making up because I'm a dietitian and not. <laughs> well, and if you have questions, you know, as far as as far as the um, time, I mean, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Linda Wallenfels, she does a, a show, LW Coaching, LWCoaching.com. And she always refers back to Kelly because <laughs> um, she's like, I don't know all the nutrition stuff, but yeah. here's, a, here's, you know, 50,000 foot of basically what Kelly says. And then Kelly, you know, we can refer back to, yeah, we can refer back to Linda and business plan. Yes, exactly. And (laughs) as far as Linda is concerned, get there as soon as you can. Yeah. (laughs) So it's food, food, hydration. That's the first thing to think about. And that might not be what everyone thinks about first when they come to altitude. But the reason hydration becomes such an issue is because the relative humidity is usually very low. A high altitude. So um, it's usually the, the average is around 10%. And that's compared to like 50% relative humidity in the Midwest or someplace like that or, or a coast, which, which is higher. So your body is just like sucked out of, you know, hydration. And it's amazing how, you know, a lot of people, even just visitors who would come and see us, you know, family members at, when we lived at Crested Butte and that, you know, is 8,500 feet. They would talk about immediately dry eyes, dry, you know, lips, chapstick, meaning chapstick, hair feels dry, all that sort of thing. Um, and it didn't matter what time of year. It's just you can feel it on your skin that the relative humidity. And that makes a difference when you're talking about then going and putting your body through what you're about to put it through when you're riding for 100 miles. It makes a big difference. So hydration, it's not that all of a sudden you need to be drinking 40 ounces of water per hour or anything like that. It's just that you need to stay on top of it more. Everything, like you said, becomes exaggerated. And so the more you can just key in and race your plan, the better. Don't, you know, don't get behind it. Don't get flustered. Don't let other racers going faster at the time throw you off your game. Don't change up your nutrition plan at the end. All those things. Um, so... You know, usually I recommend 18 to 24 ounces of water or fluid per hour. And, and that can still be true here. It's just you, you want to stay on top of it. And I also uh, am a huge proponent of doing this proactively because you're kind of always fueling and hydrating for what's coming, not for what already happened. And so the more you can do that proactively and stay on top of it, the better you're going to feel throughout. Um, the other thing that, that with hydration and feeling dehydrated and that sort of thing, oftentimes people will look at the temperature. Well, oh, well the race is only going to be, you know, 70 degrees average because we're going high up into the mountains. You'd be amazed if you haven't experienced it before, just what that sort of direct sunlight um, at a high altitude feels like. Oftentimes, just your sun exposure 
um, will feel like, you know, 15 degrees hotter, what, what it would feel like if you were doing it at 85 somewhere else. It's just the sun kind of beats down on you when yeah, you're so in high altitude. To give you an example, we were up, my, me and my family were up mm-hmm. uh, the hill. We call it up the hill at about 9,000 feet on Sunday, mm-hmm. on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And we got in the van to go home. And the sun was shining straight on it inside. Uh-huh. And I would say it was probably 85, 90 degrees in the van. And mm-hmm. I looked at the temperature, the thermometer on the on the outside of the van, um, and it showed 65 as we were driving away. And yep. I'm like, holy crap. I looked at it, I'm like, holy crap, it's only 65 degrees outside. And inside, I'm like, you know, the AC's on, cranked on because it's like burning hot in the van. Yeah. So that gives you an idea, you know, at 9,000 feet with sun, it's a weird thing and you can't explain it until you come here and check it out, but that's the way it is. So yeah, and people get sunburned a lot, you know, yeah. at high altitude because they, it, it's just, you know, there's less, you're, you're higher up, you're, you know, it's not that much closer to the sun when you're thinking about how far away the sun is, but, but it makes a difference yeah, and people weird. often get burnt at high altitude. Yep. So, um, yeah, so don't let the, the temperature, the nice 65s, mid seventies fool you too much. You need, you need to stay hydrated and, you know, a lot of times people who've raced a lot will kind of determine their, how much fluid they're going to carry based on the temperature. And I think you can do that somewhat, but just don't let it fool you at high altitude. That's my suggestion there. That and there's like the humidity and for it to be a a humid day, even here down at, you know, 6,000 feet, it's, I don't know, 40% humidity would be like (laughs) about as humid as it gets. Yeah. 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 I'm mad. And um, everyone who lives in some place that's really humid is like, that's pathetic. Right, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so that's hydration. That's the first thing. And and the other thing with that, not just about the race, be very hydrated. Coming here, when you travel, hydration, it it gets thrown off. It's the craziest thing. You can drink the whole time you're on the plane, the whole time when when you get there. But if you're flying in or road tripping or whatever, hydration is almost always thrown off with traveling. So just stay on top of it. Just hydrate very well. Um, uh, you know, a lot of times I don't, there's no rule of thumb cause all bodies are different and all sizes are different and all of that. But if you want a rule of thumb, you know, I think 64 ounces is fine to go off for women and 80 for men for a daily, you know, amount of water to be a goal and just stay on top of that. A lot of times we get so busy before a race that things like hydration kind of go out the window and it really, after all the work you've put in, that can really set you up for a loss once you start racing. So just daily hydration and then also the race hydration is important. Or can the they next- do the, can they do the pee test? Basically just the- look at your pee. Yeah, you, you can. Yeah, it, it does work. Not, not always in the middle of a race, but yeah. Day-to-day. No, yeah. That's what yep. I mean. Before, beforehand. Yep. If you're stopping and looking at your pee during the race, um, <laughs> yeah. you, you might want to contact LW Coaching. Yeah. That's LW Coaching. That's not part, of the, that's yeah, not part yeah. of the race plan. Right, exactly. Stop at mile think, yes. 54. Yep, exactly. All right. Collect your urine. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, Next thing, let's we'll talk a little bit about iron. Couple or not iron, oxygen, I was going to say, but that gave away what I was really going to talk about, which is iron. So iron is. Um, is is more important at high altitude, and one reason is because um, your body, in reaction to all the crazy things that it's filling with the lo- the less amount of oxygen, starts making more hemoglobin, and because it wants to make more hemoglobin, 
it can kind of then dilute out or, or deplete the iron stores. And so you need more iron coming in. If you want a definition of hemoglobin, it's a red protein responsible for transporting oxygen in the blood of vertebrates. It's, um, con- it's comprised of four subunits, and each of those contain iron or a heme group. And so as it makes more, as your body tries to make more hemoglobin, it needs more iron to fill it. And you will feel the effects of kind of like a low iron status, even if you were okay at sea level when you come to altitude. Um, So supplementing a moderate amount of iron. I don't like to supplement high amounts of iron without it it being tested. But if you want to supplement for two weeks before you come, you can supplement one of my favorite brands. And I'll give um, Ben the link here too. It's called Hemaplex. And you can supplement 50 to 85 milligrams per day for two weeks coming. And then through your race, if, if you want to give that um, a try. And that's not an amount that's really going to cause most people problems um, at all. And this one's really easy on your stomach and that sort of thing anyway. So, um, And it gives extra vitamin C, extra B vitamins, all kinds of good stuff, a beet extract. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so it's just a really good vitamin anyway. And that, that can help. If you have the potential of already being low in iron and I'm huge on iron because I, you know, as far as women go, I've never had a, um, like a high level woman athlete tested and test at an optimal level without supplementation. Not one time. It's crazy, especially if you're also a runner. So for any women out there, um, you know, just stay on top of your iron, get your serum ferritin tested. If you're concerned about it, a lot of times you can go ahead and, um, supplement in the 50 milligrams per day range. And that's an, an okay amount without testing. But, but if you really want to know, get serum ferritin tested and it needs to be above 30, um, NG per, per deciliter, um, and optimally more around 50. So the, the range starts at 10, but that's nowhere good. That's nowhere near good enough for an athlete. Not even close. We need at least 30. You will feel, <clears throat> excuse me, you will feel performance effects under negative effects under 30. So um, for any men who don't, you, usually men don't have as many problems with iron, but if you don't eat much red meat, um, then you could be in a high risk group too. And you're just kind of using, you know, all these nutrients up more whenever you're training day after day after day. And so it's just exasperated then when you go to altitude as well. Is there, I know this is off kind of not, well, it isn't really off the subject, but, um, blood tests, is there like an easy quick way? Cause people don't want to like go to the doctor. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Is there any like online place Mm -hmm. lab or whatever they can check out? Yep. So what you do is you, um, I think probably I've, I've Googled this for people before. Um, so let me think of what those labs are called. LabCorp Uh, is like the biggest one in the country. So, and you don't have to go there necessarily. I think you can go to labcorp.com and you can buy it and then you just show up. They take it and and you don't have to have like a doctor's order for something like, um, serum ferritin. Okay. Far as I know, that that might change if you want your insurance to pay for it or not. Right. A lot of times they're under a hundred dollars. Um, I don't know exactly how much um, hemoglobin is, and I do know you can also get vitamin D. That's usually the other test I'm making people go to because people are so different with um, how their body stores vitamin D. It's crazy, and so I can't just say like a blanket, you yeah. know. Yeah, recommendation. for sure. And I I just bring that up because I think uh, two years from now, like that's going to be kind of the thing, like. Yeah. You spend a few bucks, you get your, you know, 
routinely get your blood tested because that tells everything pretty much. And that'll make things easier in the world of like Kelly and yeah. Linda. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyhow, so that's something. Yep. LabCorp. But... And if you Google it, you can even find places where it's cheaper and then they like sell it to LabCorp. But so it's kind of like uh, Priceline <laughs> sells right. hotel rooms, right? It's kind of like that. These places sell it cheaper because LabCorp needs more business, gotcha. but it still goes to LabCorp. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Nothing Sorry. like the black market for your blood testing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I derailed that one. So I <laughs> no, no, All right, that's good one. questions because okay. I didn't know that until I looked it up. Okay. okay. So. More iron, and like I said, um, 50 to 85 milligrams, and that's 85 milligrams is the amount of the hemoplex. So you can start that like two weeks ahead of time, especially if you're concerned about your iron levels. Um, and I will say, since this is more technical information, um, Ben, I just did a plan for the Dirty Konza race. I'm going to do one specifically for high-altitude races like the Leadville. I decided to break away off the Leadville because that was the main difference, was that altitude plays um, a big role. So I will have a resource for people if they don't, if they want more, something written down for them about this because it is kind of more technical here. Yeah, so if you're, if you're listening to this, um, we'll be releasing it when she has this, this plan available. So what we'll do is I'll have a link just below. You can click on that and you can go buy it. Yep. And, and it's it should not be expensive. Nope. 20 bucks. Yes. Okay. And there'll probably be a black market for it within, uh, what, three years? <laughs> yeah, <Yes. right. laughs> um, okay, so the other thing with oxygen, and this is kind of a fun thing. Um, you know, there, I don't know how many people out there have been experimenting with the whole beet, you know, beet juice, beet powder, beet supplements, that sort of thing. I'm a, a beet lever. I'm a, I'm a believer about it. <laughs> um, that will be the title of the show, High beet- Altitude Beet Lever. Yes, that's perfect. Um, I am for myself, you know, and for for clients. My clients have been using it consistently and, and enough to know when they feel its effects versus not. Our believers, um, I personally use a um, a organic beetroot powder just because it's kind of um, the cheapest way to do it. And I always do. I, I'm a big fan of smoothies before I write anyway, so it's easy to throw it in there. Um, but the whole deal with this are the nitrates, you know, they increase, um, they dilate arteries. So it's a way for oxygen to be delivered easier, faster. Also, somehow the nitrates increase the amount of oxygen that's taken up by muscles as well. So it's like this two-prong effect. We've talked about it at length, I think, Ben, in another, um, I feel like we've talked about this yes. before. Yep. So that's something you can go back to and listen but that is one one thing you can do to increase your body's oxygen usage would be to go ahead and try using beets. Now, you do want to try it in um, training ahead of time. And there are different ways to do it. Some people do something where they're drinking the juice or taking – and there are supplements. So that is one way that a lot of people think it's easier just to take than the juice. It's not like beet juice tastes that great. The powder, I think, tastes pretty good in this smoothie. But anyway, the two ways that it's been studied is to do a loading period of like five to seven days where you're taking, um, it's usually 16 ounces of of juice if we're talking about that, um, per day. And then you take it right before you race as well. But other studies have shown that just doing the right before you race is almost as effective or as effective. Um, It depends on what study you're reading. And so that's what I opt for. One, because it's expensive to do all these things day 
after day after day, you know, for seven days every time before you really want the effects of it. And the other, it's just, it's easier. And so for maybe negligible differences in the effects, I'm going to stick with the easier. And, um, you just take it right before, you know, and it depends on what you're using. Again, for the juice and the powder, you want to take it about in the one to three hour window. There's um, one called Beat Elite. It's kind of like a gel. And that one, because it's just um, absorbed faster and digested faster, that one um, you can take within the hour right before. So that can help. If it's going to dilate your arteries, that just means oxygen is getting places faster as well as other nutrients. And then the effect of it helping muscles take up oxygen is is even better. So I'd say go for it. Try that one. Um, the other thing that we're looking at then, so we've talked about hydration, we've talked about oxygen. The other thing that people experience is kind of the whole nausea thing. Um, some people will actually get um, motion sickness meds before they come to high altitude and have found that those work. Now you would need to check, you know, if you're doing any racing, you don't want to get anything you're not supposed to get if it's, um, um, I don't know who yeah. even monitors. The- yeah. I don't know. You basically don't want to be a doper. Yeah. Don't be a doper. <laughs> I hear ginger coming soon in this you do? discussion. Yes. It, it is, Sweet. man. You can predict it right now, huh? Yeah. Um, so if it's horrible for you, you you could look on the list and you could talk to your doctor about or or an over-the-counter um, anti-motion sickness that actually works for people who get Because so, some people, you know, I have friends when I lived in Crested Rio whose families would fly in from like Missouri and feel horrible the whole week they're there. Like seriously feel like they had yeah. the flu and it was just from altitude sickness. And you don't think that's going to happen at only, you know, only if you're climbing Everest or something. But it happens at, you know, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 feet. So if you've ever gone to a race venue that high and just felt horrible, it might al- actually be like a low-grade altitude sickness. And so motion, um, like I said, those anti-motion meds or motion sickness, they do work. So if mm-hmm. you want to go that route, that's one way to go. Another is ginger. And um, I'm a huge fan of ginger um, for nausea. It works the same way. So in, um, in pregnancy, early on when people are nauseous a lot, motion sickness type things are, are some of the um, symptoms. And ginger helps there too. So you can kind of hypothetically think, well, maybe it will help here. And it, a lot of um, like naturopathic doctors definitely claim that it does help at high altitude. I would recommend 2,000 milligrams per day. You can start that a couple days before you get to the place you're going. Um, and usually the, the pills for ginger are 500 to 550 milligrams each. So you would take two doses of two pills at a time, day and night. Um, and that can really help with nausea. And it, it, it's a great thing to take anyway because it's going to help your joints and your muscles. And um, it's just good for you. If you want to take it in a food, um, you would want about a couple tablespoons two times a day of, of ginger root. So if you have a way to, to eat that, whether it's in ginger, um, like candied ginger or in a smoothie or something like that, that can absolutely help as well. And there, it's not – I will say it's not that bad to actually just cut root off and eat it. It sounds terrible at first, but if you get used to it like anything else. Yeah. Yes. That, nice. That's yeah. So I just get done in one chunk. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's so good for you. That's great. Okay. And are you usually pilling it or not pilling it? No, I literally, I just have a piece of root. In, yeah, right. I have a piece of root in the, um, and I haven't for the last few days actually, but I have some in the refrigerator and I just cut a chunk off and eat it. Yep. And so that's something to let you know is you don't have to peel it. It's okay to eat the peel for anyone. Someone asked yeah, me that fine. recently. 
And if you do, another handy tip I will tell you. Oh, I'll save this one for the, sorry, okay. the suspense for the next, the next thing we're talking about because I talk about ginger again. Okay. okay. So I'll save tips there. Okay, last thing for nausea. You, um, generally you digest easier, simpler foods, simple carbs, that sort of thing, better at high altitude than things that are like really high fat, laden, greasy, fried, that um, foods that are just heavy normally at sea level, since digestion and nausea are, you know, um, affected at high altitude there, it's just like they're affected more then. So things that would make your stomach upset at sea level will probably really make your stomach upset at high altitude for whatever reason, your digestive tract just doesn't work quite as well. So, um, you want to stick to simpler foods, especially if we're talking about like night before the race and morning of. Stick to things you know you digest well. You know, like rice is a good carb to go for there. A baked yam is a good carb. Um, you know, some whole grain or whatever sort of pasta you can do, um, sourdough bread, that sort of thing. Don't go for like the deep fried fish and chips the night before. <laughs> um, but just just kind of keep that in mind. Whatever would upset your stomach at sea level is going to be worse there. So stick to simpler carbs. And there actually is a change in your metabolism towards being able to digest carbs better. So then, of course, on the bike when you're racing, you're going to want to stick to your plan to um, for training fuel or racing fuel. And that's going to be heavily, you know, should be heavily carbed during it too. So and, so, and before we before we get on to the next, um, just a reminder that if you're listening to this, Go down to the link where it shows you can buy this uh, specific plan for the high altitude race. Yep. Um, I'm not sure at this point. Um, we'll have a lead. She'll have a Leadville one available, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be twenty bucks. And it'll kind of set you up nutrition wise for pre race, during race. I don't know if it does after, but um, yeah, specifically. Okay, cool. And after specifically for Leadville, and I'm right. not sure what other ones you'll do, but. Right. Um, yeah. So 20 bucks people. Yeah. My plan is to do that one and then get one in where it's like the, um, century races that are more, um, like a clover, like, like the Breck like 100. Okay. The, the so more single track classic. versus double yeah, track. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Cause that makes a difference in fueling of course, cause you can't take hands off as much. Um, mm-hmm. and then eventually I want to do like a Breck Epic, like a multi-day. Okay. And then cool. maybe bike packing someday. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other, whole other animal too. <laughs> yep. All right. So, um, last thing I will throw in here is um, there is a naturopathic doctor from Gunnison, Colorado, who um, made a drink called Acclimate. I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not, mm-hmm. but um, that is something that you can use in. You can use it on, you know, on the bike in your races, but you'd want to to make sure that it settles well with you because you don't want to do anything different all of a sudden when you're in a race. But it also works just day to day. It has herbs and different things that she's just amazing with that can really um, take away some of the nausea and some of the problems with um, mountain sickness if you have experienced it. And there's a website at Acclimate. If you just Google that, you'll you'll find it. And I'll, I'll give you that link too. Yeah, I'll link that in the show so, notes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's what I got. Remember that you are dealing with hydration issues, oxygen issues, and potentially digestive issues at high altitude, and all of those affect your race. So those are the three things to really think through whenever you're planning um, your foods around the race. All right. Cool. All right. All right. So thank you, Kelly. And if anybody has any questions, Kelly, where can they find you? They can find me at apexnutritionllc.com. 
Uh, my email is Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, at Apex Nutrition, LLC.com. And on Facebook, if you type in Apex Nutrition, LLC, you'll find me. And, um, and that one's pretty, a pretty good community of people chatting back and forth. So, so that's a good place to find me, too. All right. Sounds good. So thank you, Kelly, for taking the time for another episode. And no problem. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Apex Nutrition Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Mm -hmm.